Welcome to the Teaching Literacy Podcast. I'm your host, Jake Downs. I'm a fourth grade teacher, PhD student at Utah State University, and someone who just wants to know more about reading. This podcast is about bridging literacy research into practice. Every episode, you'll hear from a literacy researcher about their work, why it matters, and how to turn it into practice in your classroom. Welcome to episode 11 of the Teaching Literacy Podcast. It is great to have you here. Lots of great news to share. The first bit is that we are now over 1,300 downloads of the show so far across the last 10 episodes. 1,300, everybody. I'm ecstatic to know that so many people are interested in learning about bridging literacy research into practice. So if you haven't yet, please find us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. It's a great way to support the show and introduce what we're doing to other teachers. Along with that, I've got a big stack of Teaching Literacy podcast stickers and pins that I would love to get into your hands. So feel free to share the podcast with others by giving us a review on iTunes or Stitcher or Google Podcasts, wherever you're getting your podcast from. And you can also feel free to share us on social media using something like Instagram stories or a post or a tweet or a Facebook post. Once you've done that, just email me a screenshot to teachingliteracypodcast at gmail.com and let me know if you want a one-inch round pin or a three-inch sticker and where I can send it to. What we're doing here is extremely important. We are sharing ideas of how to implement literacy research into practice, and that's something that I think every teacher of literacy would benefit from. One last announcement for those of you in Utah. I will be doing a panel at the Utah Coalition for Educational Technology Conference, UCET, on Wednesday, March 11th. I'll be talking with the other two other uh, education podcasts, the UEN Homeroom and the Little Things First podcasts, about how podcasting as a medium can influence classroom practice. So if you're a Utah educator and you're planning on attending UCET, make sure to swing by our panel. It will be a great discussion. And it's such a great conference there. I always leave UCET feeling refreshed and with tons of ideas that I can take back into my classroom. So with that, let's get to today's episode. When a student is required to write about a text, what contributes to them writing a successful summary? The first answer that probably comes to your mind is reading comprehension. Did they understand the text they read in the first place? And you would be correct. Reading comprehension matters a whole lot when writing summaries. But beyond reading comprehension, what matters? My guest today is here to talk about why core academic skills are a really important construct in crafting quality summaries for students. Her name is Dr. Emily Phillips Galloway, and she is an assistant professor at Vanderbilt University's Peabody School of Education. We have an excellent conversation about a recent study she conducted investigating the role of core academic language in crafting summaries. Dr. Phillips Galloway and I cover a lot of ground in the next in this episode. We talk about next-gen reading comprehension assessments, language, reading, writing, and more. There really is something in this show for everyone. So enjoy the conversation and stick around after the interview for my two cents on what we talked about. Dr. Emily Phillips Galloway, welcome to the Teaching Literacy Podcast. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. So this study that we're talking about today is investigating uh, core academic language skills. I'm curious, how did you first become interested in researching uh, the academic language that students use? 
Well, I had been a middle grade teacher. And so from my experience working with middle grade learners, I knew that one of the challenges my own students often encountered when they were reading and writing uh, was using the language that we were learning in the classroom that was often unfamiliar because they hadn't encountered it in text before middle school and because it was different from the language we all used when we spoke to each other day to day. And so it was really that experience of teaching that made me curious about what these language skills might be with a focus on middle grade learners who, you know, I would say middle grade learners are a distinct population in the sense that it's often the first time when you really begin to encounter a lot of the language skills that you would find in a high school or college level text. Very interesting. So this particular study was looking at how academic language skills contribute toward written summaries. And in your article, you, you state that that's, uh, that's an important thing to understand because of the changes that have happened in reading assessments over the past decade. Can you give us an overview of how reading assessments have changed for our students? Sure. So I would say that, you know, early on in uh, the previous decade, a lot of our reading assessments contained primarily uh, lower level reading comprehension questions. So questions in which students simply had to find the answer to the question in the text. Uh, they were often multiple choice, required very little synthesis across texts. And because of that, we were tapping a, a slightly different construct of reading comprehension or a different set of skills than what the sorts of reading comprehension assessments that students take, are taking today require. So for example, if you imagine something like uh, the park assessment or a lot of the next generation assessments that are being used to tap comprehension, they are often using multiple texts. So students are synthesizing across two or three texts. Students are asked questions that require higher levels of interpretation. So what's the author's perspective on a topic, for example? Um, in a particular article, often having to compare and contrast across a series of articles. And so we know that those sorts of tasks are distinct uh, from the types of tasks that require, were required on reading comprehension assessments earlier in the decade. And so that you know, really causes us to pause and, and start to ask questions about how we can prepare students to participate in those higher level reading comprehension tasks. One of the comprehension uh, changes in assessment that you talk about is a read-to-write task. Can you give us a, can you explain what a read-to-write task is? Yeah, so a, a very common uh, task on this next generation of assessments is reading often a series of texts and then having to uh, write. So whether it's to you know, write a perspective essay after reading a series of texts or to, to write a summary of those texts, uh, we know that this is increasingly common on, on the sorts of assessments that students are taking in school today. Now, of course, the, the challenge of that is that you have to first comprehend a text, and then you have to be able to transform what you've comprehended into new language uh, to produce a summary. And so, you know, it's a particularly challenging task and one that 
is distinct from answering multiple choice questions after reading a text. It really calls on language in some unique and different ways. So what would predict successful performance on our read to write tasks besides reading comprehension? Well, you know, that was sort of the, the question that we had with this study. I mean, we knew on the one hand that reading comprehension certainly played a role, uh, but we also knew that there had to be a role for language skills. So one of the challenges that students encounter is that they have to transform the language of the text into their own language. And so not only do they have to comprehend it, but they have to have enough language to call upon to be able to put that text into their own words. And so one of the things that we were curious about in this study was what might be the role of academic language skills in supporting students' ability to produce high quality summaries of text after we'd accounted for their reading comprehension skills. So I noticed that when you, you titled the study, instead of saying something like besides reading comprehension, you titled it beyond reading comprehension. And that's a subtle change of words, but can you explain to us why that nuance matters of beyond reading comprehension instead of besides reading comprehension? Yeah, so I think when we were thinking about the title, one of the things that we wanted to emphasize was sort of the temporality of these tasks. So theoretically, you have to have a base level of reading comprehension, and then it's going beyond that to transform the text into your own language. And so to sort of emphasize that, to make clear to readers that we were tapping a set of skills uh, that that was somewhat unique and somewhat different than simply the reading comprehension skills that would be tapped by, for example, a multiple choice question. Uh, we chose to use the wording beyond uh, just to emphasize the, the particular and unique challenge that students were up against. So I, I really appreciated in the article you uh, discussed the, the Kinch uh, construction integration model of comprehension. You also use the Kim and Schatzschneider's developmental model of writing. Can you give us an overview of the developmental model of writing by those authors? I, I think what's really important here is to understand that writing is a, a developmental skill. You know, what I, what I really appreciate about their model is that it expands into a three-level writing model. And so they examine transcription skills and text generation skills which includes oral discourse skills and discrete language skills. And they position these as important contributors uh, to writing skill. And so it aligns with this expanded uh, simple view of writing. And what they found in their 2017 study was that oral discourse production skills and transcription skills were, direct, were directly related with writing quality. Um, and so then there were a set of other discrete language skills, vocabulary, syntax, and cognitive factors, which they found to be only indirectly associated via discourse production and transcription. Um, and so, you know, one of the things that we, we wanted to sort of draw out was this important role of understanding how discrete language skills like the CALS uh, might play a role in, in writing. I love that you used, I, I, so Kinch is something I've been 
trying to wrap my brain around for the last, I guess since last summer was when I first got introduced to the CI model and, and really try and understand it. And so now I'm, uh, you know, I, later I'm going to have to go dive, dive into the, the Kim and Schatz Schneider and, and see, you know, the overlap. That was one that I, I want to go and dig into more. Um, you know, the interesting piece here is that if we think about sort of the, the situation model that's generated in sort of the Kinch framework, it is a bit like a summary, you know, so it's the information from the text melded with what the reader knew about the topic, and that then becomes the situation model. Uh, and so what's interesting about a summary task after reading is that if the writer has a linguistic skill to craft that um, situation model, they can then convey that in writing in the form of summary. And so a summary becomes a really interesting uh, task and an interesting text type to examine in relation to Kinch's model. Oh, that is so okay. That's really interesting. I because with the situation model, one of the things that Kinch says is that it's not stored in, or the situation model is is kind of this meld of words that are directly within the text, but then also you know words that you know language it uses the reader's you know language capacities. It's this this meld, and that's what makes it the situation model. And and so I see, yeah, that is that's exactly what it is. It's a it's a summary. And so then I guess the question is, how do you help students tr transmit that situation model in the head into, you know, into something that's, form you know, formally transcribed? You know, and we, we knew going into this study and sort of the, one of the suppositions here was that academic language skills in particular were skills to transform the language of the text into your own language might serve as a, a form of a, a bottleneck or as a form of support uh, for students as they go to write. So, you know, it, it's possible that students can comprehend the language of the text, and then when they go to convey that comprehension in the form of a summary, they encounter new challenges, simply because they don't have the, the linguistic skills readily available to transform the meaning of the text. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I and I think that speaks a little bit to your, you know, findings about the dual the dual role of academic language skills. I guess we'll get to that in a minute though. So, let's dive into the actual study. You invested core academic language skills and how those influence the written summaries of 4th through 7th graders. Give us a brief overview. What are core academic language skills and how do you measure those? Yeah, so in this study, we used a assessment of core academic language skills that can be individually administered. And so, you know, this is a, a bit different from the typical paradigm in writing research where what we know about the writer's skill is observed entirely in the context of that student's written production. Uh, instead, we have an outside measure of language skill that we used, which is known as, as the core academic language skills inventory. And the way that the, the inventory taps these skills, it has a series of subtests um, that tap a, a different dimension of the core academic language skills construct. And so the, the construct of CALS is one that was designed 
uh, to really mirror some of the linguistic challenges that students encounter as they read in academic settings. So for example, um, while obviously we know that texts contain disciplinary language that can be challenging to students. So words in science, math, social studies, they're often the bolded words in the text. What we discuss a little bit less frequently is that across texts, there's also a core set of grammatical and discourse features. And those are related to uh, the shared um, communicative demands that are faced by academic writers and readers in, in school and um, academic settings more broadly. So for example, precisely communicating abstract information or uh, presenting a, a dynamic process to a reader who is not present, those are challenges that academic writers, whether they're writing in science, social studies, or math, are all grappling with. And so potentially unsurprisingly, there seem to be a set of language features that recurrently appear in texts that are um, written in academic settings. And it's those features that we refer to when we think about the core academic language skills construct. And so if we think about what those features might be, um, they're essentially features that are high utility in academic settings. Um, because they're highly prevalent in academic text across the content areas. So knowing them is particularly useful as you read at school. Um, they're often infrequent in everyday conversation though, which is in part why they're a little bit challenging for adolescent readers and writers to grapple with. And if we think about what those features include, um, we can imagine, you know, sort of a whole host of things as educators that we might think about. But of course, there are skills at the word level. So derivational morphology skills. Um, so understanding that a, a word's grammatical category has been shifted. So for example, uh, to legalize can become legalization in an academic text. And so being able to recognize those words and understand that a word is now serving as a noun is an often important part of comprehension. Um, and we know that in the middle grades, these sorts of words become increasingly common in text. We also know that you know, at the word level, students have to be able to grapple with um, words that have precise meanings. So you know, understanding um, for example, a word like um, hypothesize uh, versus to argue, right? So knowing that to make a hypothesis versus to make an argument is a different task in a, in a school setting. Uh, we also know that there are a host of words that cue a writer's viewpoint in a text. So if I said, it is unlikely that versus it is certainly that, certainly the case that, you as the listener would have to know uh, that I was cueing my degree of certainty about the proposition that I was making. And so at the word level, there's quite a bit that goes into the core academic language skills construct. But then at the sentence level, there's also a, a host of things that readers need to know. 
And then, of course, as they transition to writing, become useful toolkit, useful for their toolkit. So, for example, sentence level skills, syntax skills, um, the ability to connect ideas logically in a text. So to use words like consequently, on the one hand, on the other hand, and to know how the writer um, intends to use those words to cue readers to process ideas in a text. There's also tracking participants and ideas. So if I say uh, water evaporates at 100 degrees Celsius, this process, you as the reader would have to be able to connect this process and water to be able to understand the text and to form a cohesive understanding. Uh, and then at the, at the discourse level, we have elements like knowing how a text is organized. Um, so academic texts tend to follow a, a linear stepwise structure, and it can be very helpful to you as a, as a reader and as a writer to know that structure. And so collectively, uh, these elements come together to create what we call core academic language skills. And so in this study, we assessed them using an assessment that taps each of these dimensions. And then we use that to predict students' proficiency um, in producing summaries after reading text. Isn't it amazing how complex language is from the word level to the sentence level? And it's, I mean, is it any wonder that any of us can read to begin with? It's, you know, in the, I think the part that I increasingly find amazing about this is how much of this happens um, automatically and without um, without even explicit instructions. So, you know, kids are are doing a lot of these things um, without a lot of support. And so, you know, what I'm I'm often surprised as I work in classrooms is how little instruction we give in features above the word level, and yet um, how amazing learners are at acquiring the skills to work with sentences at the syntactic and discourse levels. And I think that speaks to, you know, the, the students in, in a classroom that may not quite yet have access to all those text features and, and the core academic language skills, how they do actually need some explicit direct gradual release instruction with, with support because it's I mean it's a mystery that some of us can you know pick up on its own but for a student that's having a hard time with it some of those things are just you know how would they access that without uh, you know without some instruction towards it. You know the idea sort of behind the cows one of the reasons that we started sort of thinking this way was that in the field at the time when we started talking about academic language, so it was really around the, the time when the Common Core State Standards entered into the picture. Um, there started to be a national conversation about what was academic language. And, you know, at that period in the field, we still had been operationalizing academic language as vocabulary. And we were attending very precisely often at the word level. And the challenge of that, of course, is that sometimes when students are reading or writing, the difficulty they're having isn't at the word level. It's actually at the sentence or discourse level. And so CALS is, is helpful in the sense that it gives us multiple 
pathways to explore um, as we seek to support students who are acquiring these skills. We can think about you know, the, the myriad of skill sets that they need to utilize to engage in this sort of academic work. And then within that, which ones are the most high leverage? You know, which ones do you get the most bang for your buck in? You know, if, if we only have time to teach students X amount of skills or strategies, how are we going, you know, to do that? Exactly, exactly. So this study was part of a larger uh, multi-year study investigating uh, predictors of reading for core academic language skills in the middle grades. Can you briefly explain the larger study and some of its um, direction and uh, goals and then explain how this current study fits into that larger one? Sure. So the, the genesis of this work was actually a Reading for Understanding grant, uh, which started uh, in the early, early 2010s. And essentially, what that grant aimed to do was to understand systematically the multiple predictors of reading comprehension uh, that we could support instructionally for middle grade learners. And so as part of that study, academic language is only one of those predictors. Uh, the project also thought a lot about perspective taking as a really um, essential set of skills that readers need to understand text. Um, and, you know, one of the things that the, the project sought to do was to systematically support perspective taking and academic language skills in the service of developing reading comprehension. So there was a large intervention um, that was administered to about 8,000 children, uh, 4,000 of which were in a control group. And the idea was to examine that development as predicted by these sets of skills. And one of the things that we needed to do that study was a, a very uh, comprehensive construct of academic language that could inform the design of both the intervention and of the assessment. And so that was the, the sort of genesis of the measure used here as part of a larger project. And so across the years of the study, we, we followed students for three years. One of the tasks that they engaged in uh, primarily because we were interested not in basic reading comprehension, but in a construct that Catherine Snow calls deep reading comprehension, which is that more complex reading comprehension we talked about at the beginning, where you're synthesizing across multiple texts, you're uh, interpreting writers' perspectives, you are reading um, to inform uh, an analysis rather than simply a retelling of facts read in the text. And so if we wanted to really understand whether the intervention was moving deep reading comprehension, we had to have an assessment that would tap deep reading comprehension. And so IES worked to develop the assessment, uh, which came, be, came to be known as the GISA, uh, which is a global scenario-based assessment. And so students were presented with a scenario, for example, um, you know, should we have uh, wind turbines in our community? They read a series of different texts about that topic, and then they were asked to write a summary of those texts. And so 
for three years, we followed students in the study and they produced uh, these summaries. And so the study that we're talking about today was actually drawn from a small sample of that data. Since this was published, we have gone on to score thousands of essays. Um, and so we're in the process right now of producing a much uh, larger study that engages in the same analysis that we did here. And what we're finding, not surprisingly, is that the results hold even in much larger samples um, across much uh, a broader grade band. So let's dig into some of those findings then. So your first major finding was that comprehension of a text source uh, contributes to the quality of the student's science summaries. And that seems not surprising that students who understand the text better are going to be able to write about it better. But tell us why that actually matters and is a big deal. Well, I think what's important about it uh, is that it gives us some insight into the utility of using something like a summary as a way to understand multiple document comprehension. So students read a series of texts and then had to synthesize those into uh, summaries. And you know, I, I think that's just a really useful paradigm for educators in classrooms um, to get a, a sense of how students are making sense of a text, not just simply at the, the level of write their questions, but at a level of uh, synthesis where they have to draw across ideas and, and bring them together to form a coherent summary. So then do what, to what degree do core academic language skills influence written summaries and why is that important? And so one of the things that we've hypothesized was that when you go to produce a written summary, it's not just whether you understood the text, but it's do you have the linguistic resources to convey that understanding. And what we found was that above students reading comprehension skills, the ability to package this information, their academic language skills, uh, make a unique contribution. And so, you know, what I think is important about that is it gives us a sense that producing a summary is, is both a task that requires text comprehension, but also that writers have a set of linguistic skills that allow them to repackage the information from the text to produce that summary. So can you, yeah, can you speak more to the dual role of academic language? What, what is, why, what was that finding and why was that finding important? Yeah, so, you know, one of the things that we knew from our previous studies was that academic language skills were predictive of students reading comprehension. So you have to make use of your language skills as you engage in, in text reading. And in the course of doing that, your language skills then uh, serve to impact both your comprehension of the text before you summarize it. And then as you go to summarize, your ability to repackage what you've read is also influenced by your reading comprehension skills. And so that dual influence, reading comprehension, I'm sorry, uh, academic language skills playing a role in both the reading comprehension and your ability to convey your thinking and writing is interesting in the sense that, you know, we often think of, of language skills as playing a role in reading or playing a role in writing, but in the task that students um, participated in here, 
it plays a role in, in both elements uh, simultaneously. So let's switch over to recommendations for practice. What would you tell a teacher who's interested in better supporting core academic language skills in the classroom? How can they do that? Well, I mean, I think one thing that, that comes out of this study that I, I think is essential and we need to attend to is the fact that the ability to create a summary, to convey meaning in a summary, is in part a language task. So I think we need to keep in mind that as we use summaries to assess text understanding, we are also assessing students' language skills. And so it gives us insight into both how students are making sense of text and then de the degree to which they have language skills to transform those understandings. And so I think that's important for teachers to know. Um, it's not uncommon when I'm in classrooms that I see students being asked to summarize text. And I remember when I was teaching, I rarely thought of it as a linguistic task. I thought of it as a, primarily a reading comprehension uh, monitoring task. But what this study suggests is that language skills are playing a strong role in students' ability to engage with that task proficiently. The other thing that I, I think about when I think about the results of this study is all of the various supports that we might be able to put into place to make these summary performances possible. So I can imagine interesting collaborative work being done around summarization where students are producing summaries and then working with partners uh, to really revise and think about those summaries therefore drawing collectively on the language skills uh, that, that both of those students bring to the table. Understanding that given the task of repackaging the information from a text into a summary, that it may require that we call on not just an individual child's language skills, but the language skills of, of his or her peers. So this is probably my, I don't know, seventh or eighth interview I've done for the podcast. And something, a common thread that I've noticed is there's been several people I've interviewed that I've talked about the role of language in being a productive reader. And that's, you know, and I think a lot of our conversation is focused around that there. But I wonder if um, supporting language is undervalued in the classroom because there's so much focus on you know, reading instruction and then writing instruction, but we almost forget that the language skills are, you know, even more more foundational to both of those skills than than you know than just knowing how to read. Yeah. So you know, I I think one of the things that this study makes me think about is that language is a really foundational skill for reading and for writing, and so. Whenever you're teaching language skill and supporting language skill, whether it's in the context of text reading or in the context of writing, we can imagine that it, it may serve a dual function. So as we support language development in the service of writing, we are likely also supporting our students as readers where they call on the same host of language skills. And the same would be true as we support language skill in the course of teaching reading. 
where you know if we are supporting that instruction in our students as they read, we can also prompt them and support them to use that knowledge as they write. And so what I what I really like about the notion of CALS as a, a skill that supports both reading and writing is that it gives us a unifying framework to think about how we support students uh, in multimodal ways. So rather than think of reading and writing as separate, we might start to think of these skills as uh, two sides of the same coin. And as we start to develop language skills, we are developing them in the service of supporting our readers and our writers concurrently. I love that concept. And, and, it, and you noted this earlier in the interview, but that when we're talking academic language skills, it's, it's more than just you know vocabulary. We're not talking about just teaching academic vocabulary, but it's all those you know, the propositions at the word level, at the sentence level, that helps us essentially communicate. So we're talking understanding communication, but also producing productive communication as well. Exactly. You know, and our, our students need opportunities not just to uh, learn language as readers, but to practice using that language as writers. And so, you know, I, I like the concept of classrooms where uh, we engage in in reading, writing, and speaking, uh, and we think of those as mutually reinforcing activities. Where at the center of each of those is the use of language. So, Dr. Emily Phillips Galloway, what do you think makes a great educator? I think a a great educator is an educator who is uh, observant. So, you know, in my work with teachers here at the university, the strongest educators, whether they're just starting out in the field um, and it's their first time leading a classroom or they're seasoned educators with 20 years of experience, uh, I find that, that the most skilled educators are often the most observant. So they seek to understand children in their classroom uh, to understand how they make sense of the world and what resources they bring to that task. And they often do that by watching. Uh, so, you know, one of the things that I think of with academic language skills is that the way that we track them in our learners is often not through assessment. It's through simply watching children as they use language and thinking about how they're making sense of that language use and calling on those resources. And so in the end, it really is about watching closely and providing support and instruction when needed and as needed to support our students uh, as they engage in reading and writing tasks. And to do that work effectively, you have to be a very observant educator, um, engaged in, in watching students as they learn and make sense of the world. Dr. Phillips Galloway, thanks for joining us on the Teaching Literacy Podcast. Thank you so much. It was great to talk with you. A great big thank you to Dr. Phillips Galloway for joining us on the show. I am so grateful that show after show, we have such high caliber researchers coming to help us make sense of their research so we can use it in our classrooms. So I have two thoughts around our conversation. The first, I'm centering around academic vocabulary. 
So I will be honest, when I was reading her study and preparing to talk with Dr. Phillips Galloway, I was approaching her study with an academic vocabulary mindset. I don't think I truly picked up on what she was meaning by academic language until I was talking with her. We, you know, we, we pulled up Skype and we were talking right before the interview. So let's talk about both of those for a minute, academic language and academic vocabulary. One way to define academic vocabulary are words that are used infrequently in common conversation, but are used frequently in texts across domains. So words like generate, investigate, chronological, or assumption could all be academic words. So certainly understanding those words will be crucial to understanding a text as a whole, but now I view that after my conversation with Dr. Phillips Galloway as academic vocabulary being a subset of a larger umbrella of academic language. And so academic language involves other language skills, vocabulary, which is one of them, that is going to support a student being able to understand the text that they just read. So I see academic vocabulary now as one component as of academic language, and both of which deserve our serious consideration as literacy educators. Along those same lines, my second thought deals with the role of core academic language skills. So what struck me was when Dr. Phillips Galloway described the role of language as being either a bottleneck or a support for student literacy. And along with that is that language plays a dual role. It first helps a student understand meaning that is conveyed in the text, but then it also helps students in conveying that same meaning into either productive discourse or written summary. So since talking with Dr. Phillips Galloway, I feel I've been extra sensitive to seeing language within my classroom. For example, earlier this week we were reading a text that was talking about the evolution of the position of snake fangs. So listen to the following text. These reptiles were the opisthoglyphs, the rear fang snakes. A few sentences later, the text said, and the proteroglyphs, front fang snakes, appeared. Then toward the end of the section it read, and so the solenoglyphs, the vipers, appeared. Each of those is a crucial example of language. So the text gives us a domain-specific tier 3 word, and then either right before that word or right after that word, it defines the word without explicitly saying that that is the definition. About half of my students picked up on that. If I asked them what the opisthoglyphs were, they'd be able to say, well, they were snakes that had fangs in the back of their mouths. But about half of them couldn't because there was a breakdown in their core academic language skills where they were unable to stitch together that the meaning of that tier three very domain-specific vocabulary word the definition was given right after. So what I found is I had to go back and explicitly teach what was happening in that sentence and how we use the positioning of the words before or after to define that word. And I don't think if I, if I had not talked with Dr. Phillips Galloway, I don't think I would have picked up on that. I would have thought there's something here they're not understanding. It's probably these words and I would have just taught them the words rather than teaching them how to stitch it together, construct it using the text itself. So the point here is that there's language at the sentence and paragraph at text level that is important to developing proficient readers and writers. We have to go beyond just looking at giving students definitions of individual words and helping them see the language of these academic texts that we're having them read. That is all I have for today. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you've liked what you've heard, make sure to leave us a review wherever you get this podcast, share us on social media, or just share it with a colleague. And I would love to hear from you at uh, teachingliteracypodcast at gmail.com. And until next time, let's go and teach reading just a little bit better.
Thanks for listening to our conversation today. Remember to check out the show notes for more details. If you have feedback or a show idea, feel free to email me at teachingliteracypodcast at gmail.com. This is Jake with the Teaching Literacy Podcast, and until next time, let's go and teach literacy just a little bit better.